Heavenly Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you'll move on this listener right now in your gentle, loving, powerful, and merciful way as they listen to this message from All Nations Church in Tallahassee. Amen. You can take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll get there in just a few moments. Next week, I want to talk to you about the wolf of wokeism what wokeism is doing to our children. We're going to be very frank and very open and honest about the things that's happening in the lives of so many teens and elementary students nowadays. When we look at wokeology, we recognize that wokeism has infected every level of our society. Our government is affected by it, all three branches of our federal government. State governments across the nation have become woke, We see that it's affected education from the earliest levels to pre-graduate and graduate schools. We see that it affects finance. There's pressure on the banks and the major corporations to adhere to the ideology. And we see that it also affects religion. That churches, not only just in this nation, but around the world, have become woke. This morning, I want to give you seven signs of a woke church. I'm going to be quick, so don't panic. We'll get through them all, and I won't keep you till 1230. That much I promise, all right? Fair enough. Here we go. Second Peter chapter 2. need to read the entirety of this chapter because Peter is talking about the fact that in the last days, false teachers, false doctrines will permeate the church. People will try to come in and subvert the truth and the true doctrine of the gospel. So I'm just taking a portion of these because we don't have time to read the entire chapter. But make yourself a note on that outline. Read the entire chapter when you get home this afternoon. Peter says this in 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 17. These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Who's he talking about? He's talking about false teachers. For the, 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 for the mouth empty... But boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those to live in error. Did you catch that? By appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those to live in error. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity, for people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that the Spirit of God would awaken us today. Open our hearts, open our minds to the truth and the validity of your word, and help us to be able to see by the presence of your Holy Spirit those things that which are false and anti-God happening around us. We ask these things in your name. Amen. I've said it before, let me say it again. The entire doctrine of wokeism is anti-God, anti-Bible, anti-Christianity. Man, when you think about it, Christianity has been fundamentally transformed in many places because of this false teaching and false doctrine. Matter of fact, I was thinking in the office this morning, there's only one worldwide religion that hasn't been affected by wokeism. You know what that is? Islam. Islam. Still living in that repression still being the oppressors of so many people, refusing to change in any way. 
Now, I am not applauding Islam. You need to understand that. It, too, is a false teaching and a false doctrine and a false religion. But I am saying there is some tenacity we need to have in the church of Jesus Christ that keeps us from following every wind of doctrine and every false teaching that comes into the church. Satan's plan and his strategy is to so infiltrate the church of Jesus Christ that we no longer know truth from error, that we believe anything that we are told. I've told you time and time again since we've been here that don't just take my word for it, look it up in the word of God. See if what I'm saying is accurate and true, and if it's not, you need to reject it. However, I always do my best under the anointing of the Holy Spirit only to bring God's Word. So we talk about wokeology and how it has infiltrated the church of Jesus Christ. Basically, wokeology says, I'm central. It's all about me. I am the source of my own truth. It's a postmodernistic worldview and personal view. See, postmodernism said man contains the answers inside himself. All we have to do to solve the riddles of life is to look inside. And that leads us to the place where we say, what's true to me is true. And what's true to you is true. There are no absolutes. It's all relative. There is nothing that we can actually hang our head on and say that's true. That's what postmodernism teaches. Whereas the Word of God teaches the exact opposite. The Word of God declares that this is right, this is true, that we should be students of God's Word, that we may come to understand and know what God's will is for you and me. Wokeism says that as long as you don't tell me what to do, and I don't tell you what to do, everything's copacetic, we're going to get along, and that has infiltrated the church. I've been amazed about how many people roll in and out of churches based on what they don't like. May I tell you, the gospel itself is offensive. It's offensive for the gospel to say you and I are sinners and we need a Savior. It's offensive to say there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. It's offensive when you and I have to face the fact that our only answer and our only remedy is not me, but it's Jesus Christ. And until we bow our knee to that truth and to the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, we will always be offended by things happening within the church. We've gotten so petty because we've adopted the doctrine of wokeism where we think we're central that if the music isn't right, if the lights aren't right, if the temperature isn't right, if the nursery isn't right, if kids' power isn't right, if youth isn't right, then we're going to find someplace that is right. May I have, I've got a newsflash for you. You will never find that perfect place. You'll never find that perfect church. Why not? Because the minute you walk in it, you ruin it. Let that sink in for just a minute. Absolutely true. So we recognize wokeness has infiltrated the church. Seven signs of a woke church. Here we go. Are you ready? Number one, a woke church emphasizes the love of God over the holiness of God. In a biblical-centered church, in a Bible-believing church, we must preach the whole counsel of God. We can't pick and choose what suits our fancy. Even if it's offensive to us, even if we don't like it, even if it calls sin out in our lives, we cannot not preach it. We've got to embrace the entire counsel of God. 
It's kind of like you go to one of those buffet restaurants and you can order a steak, but then you see down at the end of the line, there's this ice cream machine. And man, if they have peach cobbler to go with that ice cream, it's almost heaven. So you're tempted to skip the steak and just go have ice cream and peach cobbler. Do you feel me? Are you with me this morning? Am I the only one that thinks this way? Absolutely not. You do too. You just won't admit it. Everybody wants ice cream. Everybody loves ice cream. Well, I don't love it, but I like it. My wife now, she loves ice cream. When we go back to Oklahoma, she can't pass up Brahms. We stop at every one and get her a single dip hot fudge sundae. Isn't that right, sweetie? That's right. I don't know how many she had this week when I wasn't with her, but I'm sure they were numerous. She loves it. But we need to understand we can't live on ice cream. We need the protein that's in steak. We need baked potatoes covered and slathered in butter. We need one of them salads that's piled high with honey mustard. We need some green beans on the side. See, we need the meal, not just the dessert. But too many churches today, all we serve is dessert. Come on in, we're going to give you some ice cream. It's going to make you feel good. You're going to be energized, and then you'll go out and crash because you haven't received the meat of the Word. You can't live on ice cream alone. It requires the whole counsel of God. We can't have both. The Bible says, the Lord declared in Leviticus 11.44, Be holy, for I am holy. Wow, what a declaration. We can read it again in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, be holy, for I am holy. See, hear, this, hear it this way. The only sin that Jesus Christ will ever know is yours and mine. And the only holiness you and I will ever know is his. See, when we come to him, we become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. He puts that righteousness over us like a cloak, like a garment. So that when God looks at you and me, he's not seeing that old sinner. He's not seeing that person that fell yesterday. He's not seeing that person that can't walk straight. But rather, he's seeing the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And in that, we have the assurance that if we sin, we confess our sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Make us holy. He makes us holy. However, the woke church emphasizes the love of God over the holiness of God. And people will cycle in and out of churches because they're not hearing the right buzzwords. Or they don't like the meat of God's word. Come on, preachers, just make me feel good. Tell me it's all about me and living my best life. Show me that in the gospel. You can't because it's not there. It's impossible. You know, I've been looking for this one scripture in the gospel, and I just haven't been able to put my finger on it. You know the one? It's the one that says, God wants me happy. I have searched high and low, and I can't find it. Yet I hear it all the time from people, and they're saying it as though it is gospel. No, God doesn't want you happy. God wants you holy. And when you live in the holiness of God, then you'll find his righteousness adorns you 
And in that place and in that position, the joy of the Lord becomes your strength. And it's not just a momentary happiness that you experience, but rather it's a deeply embedded joy in your spirit that no one can touch and no one can take away because you're holy. Holy. But it's interesting when we start talking about holiness instead of love, people start hitting the back door. Shouldn't surprise us. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees and to his disciples. And he says to them, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll not be a part of the kingdom. And it says they stumbled at those words. Matter of fact, verse 66 says, many left him from that day forward. They ceased following him. They refused to accept what he said because it was too hard. So then he turns to the disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave me also? And here's the old apostle Peter. He's either on or he's off. He's either the most brilliant man in the room or the dumbest man in the room, one or the other. And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we now know and believe you are the Christ, the son of the living God. See, until you assimilate that, until that is drop deep down into your spirit so that it affects the way you think, you'll never be able to stand in holiness. We've got to understand he has the words of everlasting life. He is the son of the living God. He is the Christ that was prophesied and fulfilled. We move away then from being a church that only talks about love to a church that can talk about holiness. So many people are dying to understand the implications of what this actually means. How do I move from just God loves me, God loves me, God loves me to I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ? Requires a change right here, folks. It requires adopting his word into our lives, assimilating his word. But when we talk about wokeism, you know what most churches are saying about it? Nothing. Not a word. Because it's offensive when we, when we confront culture and the lies that are in culture. It's much easier to draw a crowd if all we do is say, God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. And may I tell you, God is love. And you can't fathom how much God loves you. It's absolutely beyond your finite mind to wrap your head around how deep and how broad and how wide and how encompassing the love of God really is. If you don't believe that, read Romans chapter 8, because Paul said, nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Oh, come on, folks, you need to understand the love of God is wonderful, it's marvelous. It's His love that brought you to a place of confrontation in your sin and brings you redemption through His Son. But we just can't preach love. Why? Because pure love flows from pure holiness. It's the holiness of God that saw the sinfulness of man and said, we have to have a remedy. And as a result, his love was sent through Jesus Christ to bring us to him. We need to understand that. Let it sink into our hearts and into our lives. Let it become a part of who we are and what we believe. Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live at peace with all men and to be, are you ready? Can you say that word? Can you actually speak it out? It's H-O-L-Y. Can you say it? 
Let's say it together. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. And to be holy. Holy. It means to be set apart. It means to be one of God's own. It means to be branded with a big old JC on your chest. Be holy is what that word means. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. Read the rest of it. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See, it doesn't matter how fancy your car, or big your house, or how much your suit or your dress costs. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So it's time for the church to wake up and recognize, yes, the love of God draws us, but it's the holiness of God that keeps us, sustains us, enables us to live for Him. Once we receive Christ, then His righteousness, His holiness is imparted to us. And we put that on. He puts it on us so that now God sees us, not through our old sinful nature, but through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, there's got to be a balance between the love of God and the holiness of God. It can't be just love, 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 love. It can't be just holiness, holiness, holiness. There is a balance, a place where those two meet, where we receive the love of God, where we are bathed in the love of God, but we also receive the holiness of God. Let's boil it down to where it's real pertinent. You can't live like the devil six days a week and then think you're living for God an hour on Sunday morning. Not the way it works, folks. Not the way it works. Be ye holy, he said, for I am holy. Number two, the woke church offers an offense-free environment. term that we've used for the last 25 years are seeker-sensitive churches. An offense-free church. And I kind of wrap my mind around that, and I just do not understand it. I cannot figure that out, because every aspect of the gospel is not seeker-sensitive, it's offensive. And when a sinner walks into a church, and all they hear is, you're okay, God loves you, there's nothing wrong with you, live your best life, you can do better, and not confronted with the power of holiness of God, and not confronted with the true gospel... That church is doing that sinner a great disservice. See, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, church should be uncomfortable. You should be wiggling in your seat. You should be checking your watch every three seconds saying, isn't he done yet? I'll tell you when I'm done. How about that? So we want to create an offense-free environment. The gospel, however, is not offense-free. See, we all have a heart problem. That's why Jeremiah said, and we've talked about it the last couple of weeks, the heart is deceitfully wicked. The heart is wicked. We have heart problems. And the only remedy for that heart problem is to get a heart transplant. To let him create in me a new heart, a clean heart. To let him wash me white as snow. To let him change me and conform me to his image. To know that I am now no longer the same, but I am a new creation. A brand new creature in Jesus Christ. He creates a new heart in us. He takes away that hard heart, that deceitful heart, that wicked heart, and he puts within us a heart that he can mold, that he can shape, 
that he can pleasure with his will and his purposes. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Again, read the whole chapter because Paul's talking about what's going to happen in the last days. The time will come when people will no longer put up with sound doctrine. You know what that means? It means we come to church and we say, give us ice cream. We want some more ice cream. Last week's ice cream was so wonderful, it just didn't last long enough. Give us some more ice cream. Touch my sweet tooth. But stay away from the meat of the word. Stay away from the confrontation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went on to say, and I read it from this version, instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I like it from the New English translation. It says, instead, they follow their own desires, and they will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. Wow, what a condemnation on the church in America today. We can say ouch to that statement. But here, I believe we live in a tension between being comfortable and uncomfortable. A tension between knowing who we are in Christ and knowing what we're supposed to do with Him. It's a tension that keeps us ever reliant on the power of the Holy Spirit. Understanding that he, ha- he is my peace, He is my joy, He is my song, He is all those things that we sang about this morning. He's my healer, my provider, my deliverer, my banner, my victories, all those things. Brings me comfort. But at the same time, He is my master. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. And I have a responsibility to obey Him and to do what He asks me to do every single moment of every single day of my life. To live in that place of comfortably uncomfortable in Him. See, we want to make the church unoffensive, an offense-free environment. Number three, the woke church, and I love this line. I didn't make it up, but I love it. The woke church streamlines heaven and air conditions hell. I remember sitting in a theology class when my professor made that line or said that line. I thought, wow, that's great stuff. I'm going to remember that. You know, it's one of those things you tuck away in your brain and then when you need it, boom, it pops up. There it is. They streamline heaven and air condition hell. Brilliant. But if you read the research... So many people believe in heaven, and so few believe in hell. So we love heaven. We love to talk about heaven. It's fun to talk about heaven. We dream about a mansion. The old gospel song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. We dream about the rewards of heaven and what it's going to be like, and streets of gold, and daylight forever by the light of the sun, and living in Him and living for Him and serving Him and ruling and reigning with Him. We love heaven. But we don't talk much about hell. May I tell you, just as heaven is real, so is hell. How do I know hell is real? Because it drives me with the knowledge that Every moment of every day, 10,000 people, every minute, are dying and going to a devil's hell. It drives me 
when I don't want to get up, when I don't want to open the Word, when I don't want to study, it drives me back to the Word because I am convinced without Christ, hell is the eternal destination. See, we moved a thousand miles from our family. A thousand miles from our grandkids. We've been here for ten years almost. And we only did it because we believe hell is real. See, if hell wasn't real, we'd stay in Oklahoma. We'd have stayed in Colorado. I skied 17 times the winter before we came here. It was wonderful. I loved the Colorado life. Our grandkids love to come and visit us then too. Now we don't see much of them down here. But if we didn't believe hell was real, we would chuck it all in, go back to a life of comfort and ease, and live out our retirement years. But I believe hell is real. That's why I can't quit. That's why I can't stop. That's why I must study. That's why I must preach messages like this, because there is a hell to shun. And the only way to escape it is through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and making him your Lord and Savior. So I don't think Jesus talked about hell. Well, you're wrong. Your lack of study betrays you. You can read it in Matthew chapter 13. And I'll just read verses 41 and 42. Jesus said, The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, the sad thing about hell is there's no exit. There's no escape. Once you're there, you're there forever. See, everybody's going to live forever. It's just a matter of your location. Will it be heaven or will it be hell? We make that decision by rejecting or accepting Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. People say all the time, oh, if God loves me, he won't send me to hell. He didn't send you to hell. You willingly ignored him, overlooked him, pushed him aside, ran over him, decried him, cussed him. Hell was not created for human beings. It was created for Lucifer and all of his fallen angels. But when Lucifer tempted Adam and Eve, and we talked about it last week, then they made a choice to follow their own nature rather than to follow God, and then boom, hell enters the picture. So if you go to hell this morning, I will not listen to your cries on the day of judgment. You should have told me. I have told you. You should have listened. You should have listened. Because there are only two destinies. Jesus said there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When I first got into ministry, I bought the lie that every preacher had to play golf. And I hated golf, hated all of it. But my contemporaries said you had to play golf. And you had to play golf in suit pants and a button-down and a white belt and white golf shoes. That was the lie. I bought into that. But I learned pretty quickly, I don't like this golf. Started to say sport, no golf. Now I'm offending every golfer in the room and every golfer online, just get over yourself, because you chose a dumb game. See, I'd see some of those preachers 
They'd be on the 18th hole getting ready to make the putt. It was their PB, their personal best, if they sunk it. And they would miss that thing. And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't cussing, it was his first cousin coming out of their mouth. I saw them throw putters. I saw one guy bend his driver around a tree. Another one pitch his whole golf club in the lake. I thought, that's what I want to do. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. If you've never experienced, go play golf. You'll see what it's like. It's horrendous. You say, well, that's because you weren't any good. Yeah, I wasn't any good. I know that. That's why I was weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's kind of funny, isn't it? But golfers go through that every time they get on the course. See, hell is very much that way. It's eternal. Without remorse. Nothing ever changes. It's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Constantly it never ends. So yes, we talk about heaven, but we also talk about hell. Because there is a heaven that we gain through Jesus Christ, and there is a hell that we shun through Jesus Christ. Number four, the woke church promotes a meistic mentality. You're the star of your story. You're the A-lister in your movie. And Jesus, he's one of those backup guys somewhere in the background. You get an occasional cameo of Jesus, but really it's just all about you. We're going to do what we want, where we want, say what we want, and then we're going to put a God bless me sticker on top of it. And somehow they think that's going to get us through and get us by. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. Have you heard this one? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. I've even said that. There's truth in that. Absolute truth in that. But sometimes we take that, it's all about relationship, and then we cover that in grace, and all we hear is grace, 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 and I am thankful for the grace of God, for it's by grace through faith you are saved, not of works lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. I'm thankful for grace. But listen to me, grace is not a license to live as you please. Grace is not a license. To do what you will that's against the word of God. Grace does not give you opportunity to live as you desire. An overemphasis on grace, and this is where many are at in the church, relieves personal responsibility. Oh, I'm covered by grace. I don't need to worry about that. I don't have to step up and be accountable for my personal actions that are unbiblical and ungodly. I am covered by grace. It's like we're saying to Jesus, hop in the back seat, I'm going to drive. And if I get in trouble, then we're going to sing like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. But that's the only time we ever say, Jesus, take the wheel, is when we find ourselves in trouble. Now listen to me. Grace is powerful. Grace is the horsepower that enables us to live a holy life. If you don't understand that term, then you need to do some research on gas combustion engines and how we generate horsepower. Grace is the horsepower that drives a holy life. So many times we read the story of David and Goliath, and I'm going to ask you to show your hands, and yeah, I'm going to embarrass you in just a minute, all right? So just be aware of that. 
How many have ever said, I'm David, that's me. My hand is up. I'm David, that's me. I'm just... You bunch of folks that will not tell the truth. Every one of you at one time or another said, yeah, I'm a man after God's own heart. That's me, David. Yeah, I can fight the giant. I'm filled with courage. How many of you have ever said, I'm just like David, that's me? Well, that's a little better. Y'all do realize that liars still have their place in the lake of fire. You think about that. See, we try to make ourselves centered to the story. When in reality, it was God who delivered Goliath into David's hand. It was not David, it was God. And if you know success in your life, if you've seen victory in your life, it's not you, it's God through you. Stop being so self-centered, thinking it's all about you. You're not going to like this next statement, we're going to make it anyway. God doesn't need me and God doesn't need you. Let me say it again. God doesn't need me and God doesn't need you. I can't say, oh, I'm the man. God really needs me. I've done all this stuff. God really needs me. He doesn't need me. And he doesn't need you. He's very satisfied in his Trinitarian existence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They live in perfect community. They satisfy all the needs that are found in the Godhead. Everything they need and want is there. He doesn't need me and he doesn't need you. And the moment we begin to say it's all about me and we reject his opportunity to move in our lives, we find ourselves falling into lies and deceit. How about this one? People say, don't judge me. The scripture says, don't judge me. Well, it does say that. I've even used that statement, probably out of context. The Bible says, don't judge me in the context of you being willing to be judged. Well, let that settle in first a moment. We can only say that if we ourselves are willing to be judged. That's what Jesus was teaching in that passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 7. We realize that God calls out sin. Holy Spirit calls out sin. Jesus calls out sin. And the people of God should do the same thing. When we have a meistic mentality, we think that everything is about me. And nothing is about God. Number five. See, I'm moving quickly. Not really. Number five. They concentrate on your potential over your depravity. Now let me praise this by saying all of us have potential, both in the natural and in the spiritual realm. Everyone has potential. But potential is not who you are. Potential is what you can be. Potential is something to yet see and achieve. It's wonderful to know that we have a destiny in Jesus Christ, and we have a destiny because of His death, burial, and resurrection, not because of us. We have a destiny. So we have to have that balance and understand that potential and destiny are two wonderful things, but we have got to come to the place where we say, I surrender my destiny, my potential in this life to the Lord Jesus Christ so that He can do in me what He wants to do, so that I can actually achieve my true and full potential, so I can actually rise to the place where I'm walking in the plan that He has for my life. Oh, come on, somebody. 
It's time to stop talking about potential and recognize we only are who we are because of Jesus Christ, not because of us. Number six, the woke church preaches deliverance over perseverance. You know, I thought about that when I typed those lines, and I thought, I really don't like that statement. I like deliverance. I don't necessarily like perseverance. I mean, think about it. God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt in slavery. I've known people that God has delivered. He's even delivered me time and time and time again. But Christianity is not. Take these two verses, go to sleep, and when you wake up in the morning, everything's going to be okay. It's not the way it works, folks. I'm thankful when God does deliver us, but when He doesn't, when He says persevere, when He says keep walking, when He says you can endure, then we've got to rely on Him. Paul wrote it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10. Concerning this thing, he's talking the verse before about a thorn in the flesh. People have wondered and questioned, what was that thorn in the flesh? Well, you ought to read a story, you would know. It wasn't poor eyesight. It wasn't diminished health. I mean, think about everything that Paul went through. He had to be broken and bruised and crippled out and every joint hurt and ached because he'd been stoned. He had been shipwrecked. He had been beaten. All those things had happened to him. But he's saying, my thorn in the flesh was not the physical. It was a spiritual battle. And the battle was against people who want to destroy the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every one of us need to know we're in a battle. And in this battle, it probably won't come by deliverance. It will come by perseverance that we see the victory. He went on to say, Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might deliver me, depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then he said, therefore most gladly will I boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Oh, did you hear it? He said it so clearly. God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And then he said, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to boast about my infirmities. Not saying that he was sick and tired, but saying, I walked through that and I'm still walking. Oh, come on, somebody, you need to hear that today. You need to look right at the devil square in the eye and say, I've already walked through that and I'm still walking. You didn't beat me then. You're not going to beat me now. You didn't kill me then. You're not going to kill me now. I will not give up on God and the promise of God for my life. I will persevere. I will persevere. Got a whole other story about that I won't have time to tell you this morning. But we need to understand it's about perseverance. We all want deliverance. We all want breakthroughs. But have you ever thought about it? Sometimes God shows clearly His strength in the breakdown rather than in the breakthrough. We rejoice in breakthroughs. We don't really rejoice in breakdowns. But we should. Because it's there, God shows us His strength and His power. Tom, come back, please. When we have a balance between deliverance and per perseverance, then we know, yes, God can heal me. Yes, God can deliver me. But if He doesn't, we can be just like the three little Hebrew boys and say, we know our God can deliver us from that fiery furnace. But if He doesn't, we're going to serve Him anyway. 
Oh, come on, somebody. Deliverance often comes through perseverance. For you saying it doesn't matter. Even if he doesn't take me out of this, even if he doesn't heal me from this, I will serve him anyway. Perseverance. Number seven. The woke church believes how you feel becomes facts. How you feel becomes facts. I don't really understand that. You say, well, look around you today. There are men feeling like they're women. Women feeling like they're men. And we should affirm transgenderism. No, we affirm the fact we love that person, but we do not affirm the sin that has invaded their life. And the only remedy is through the blood of Jesus Christ. We've got to come to the place where we say, God doesn't necessarily worry about my happiness. He worries about my holiness. He worries about my obedience. He's concerned about the fact that I need to follow Him through everything. Instead of saying, God wants me happy, because that's a feeling, we need to say, God wants me to be obedient, because that's a fact. It's a fact. And we're going to have moments of happiness. We're going to be peppy and bursty. Christians should be the happiest people on the planet. I mean, especially when you just got ice cream for a message. You're bouncing off the walls, right? But we can never put our emotions on the same level as Scripture. And even if I don't like it, even if it doesn't feel right, it's still true. Because the Word of God never changes. We can never put our emotions on the same level as Scripture. When we do, you know what happens? We run from pillar to post, place to place, preacher to preacher, prophet to prophet, evangelist to evangelist, always looking for that drop of happiness to see us through, to make us feel good. The gospel wasn't sent to make us feel good. The gospel was sent to make us holy and righteous and redeemed and forgiven. And when you walk through that process, yes, you will feel good. But that's not the purpose. The purpose is regeneration. The purpose is transformation. The purpose is changing who you are. Because remember, our emotions can lie to us. Why do I say that? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked. Our emotions can lie to us. We hear things. We see things. We decide, I don't want to do that anymore. When the death threats started to come, do I really want to preach this message? I don't feel very good about that. When I got the nasty emails this week, I really don't want to go forward. That doesn't make me feel good. But it's not about feelings, it's about facts. And understanding the Word of God is true. And there are some listening to this message right now in the room and online who disagree with every word I've said. And there are some who are going to send me nasty messages. So what do you do with those emails? I hit the delete button. What do you do with those anonymous letters? They hit the round file. I am not going to spend one moment concerned about what some false doctrine says about me. I'm not going to allow those negative people to have a negative influence on my life. And I will not allow them to steer me away from what God has called me to do. I'm going to be honest with you, this is the toughest series of messages I have ever had to 
study for, prepare for, and to preach. It's not easy. I was expecting attacks, and I still am. But you know what I know? I know that no matter how I feel, this book is still fact. And if I build my life on this book, my feelings will change and come in line with what it says. So that I can say to you today, you may cuss me, you may call me a bigot, which is absolutely untrue. You may call me ignorant and unlearned, which is absolutely untrue. You may say, I don't even know what wokeism is, which is absolutely untrue. But this one thing I know, you will never change the truth and the authority of God's Word. It's the standard we build our lives on. It's the hope we have through eternity. And I am so thankful today that God is a God of balance. Stand to your feet with me. Come on, Tom, sing it out one time. Cornerstone. Theme song of this message, this series. Sing it out. He is my cornerstone. disturb me. Some things you said even make me mad. Some of the things you said I completely disagree with. Yet there's something happening in me I can't explain or understand. It's truth that's resonating in my being that I want to embrace. In this room today and you say, Pastor, something you said has hit me right between the eyes this morning. That's you, right where you said or stand. Just look up here and say, pray for me. Something you've said has challenged my belief system. Challenged my thought process. Slip up your hand. Yes, anyone else? I'm going to pray for you right where you are. Others? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your word would continue to challenge, to bring change, to cause us to be aware of the areas of our life where we are not living by your standard, but by our own will. Things that cause us to redefine the gospel to please us and to suit us. God, we pray today that you'd bring radical transformation into the lives of those who had the courage to slip up a hand and into the lives of those who didn't. That you'd bring eternal, lasting change in their hearts and in their lives. The presence of God is in this room today. And ask Tom to sing this song, Cornerstone. 
And if God is drawing you, then come and let me pray for you. Let us pray over you. Let's believe God for a mighty work to happen in your life today. You made it to the end of the message, and now what? Is God leading you to make a change? Are you needing a good church home where you can grow and help others grow as you fulfill your part in the body of Christ? Then we invite you to join us at All Nations Church on Sharer Road in Tallahassee, a multicultural church founded on the truth of God's Word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our Sunday morning service is at 10.30 and Wednesday night service at 7, plus youth group and kid power and small groups and more. For more information, visit our website, allnationstallahassee.com.